Extra Daily Planet Extra. It's Christmas, a time for celebration, a time of goodwill to all men. All that is, except one. Those of us with means should make some slight provision for the poor and destitute. Ebenezer Scrooge, a man whose contempt for others... Mr. Cratchit! ...is matched only by his greed and lust for wealth. Christmas comes but once a year, sir. Poor excuse for picking a man's pocket every 25th of December. But Scrooge is about to be taught a lesson he'll never forget. You will be haunted by three spirits. I think I'd rather not. Charles Dickens' immortal tale is brought to life as you've never seen it before. I am the ghost of Christmas past. You will see yourself. Ebenezer Scrooge! You are more worthless and less fit to live than millions like this poor man's child. I fear you more than any spectre I've seen. I will not be the man I must have been but for this visitation. Why show me this if I am past all hope? Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol, with an all-star cast including Frank Finlay, David Warner, Susanna York, Edward Woodward, Nigel Davenport, Joanne Wally, and George C. Scott as Ebenezer Scrooge. A Christmas Carol. Merry Christmas to everybody, and a happy new year to the world! The Man of Screen. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 22 of Man of Screen Extra. I am your host, Mike Zumo, and this is going to be my annual holiday episode. I am going to be covering 1984's The Christmas Carol, the television movie starring George C. Scott as Ebenezer Scrooge. There have been many versions of uh, of the Charles Dickens uh, story over the course of the years, and this uh, particular film just happens to be my favorite. Unfortunately, I've never uh, actually read the, the novella by Dickens, and one of these days I'll get around to doing that, but... Uh, I've just been exposed to very many uh, of the movie and TV versions of, uh, of this story over the years. And this one not seems to be my favorite. This is kind of the one I settled on. My parents, uh, specifically my mother, I believe their favorite are, is the Alastair Sims movie. I believe that's called Scrooge. I don't think that's actually called A Christmas Carol, but their favorite, I believe, is that one. Which, I guess, uh, A Christmas Carol, being that there are so many movie uh, versions of this, that uh, everyone has their own favorite. Everyone has... Maybe it's the... Uh, the first one you've been exposed to that ends up becoming uh, your favorite. I just remember that on every uh, Christmas Eve, my parents would uh, kind of sit in the living room and uh, watch a few different versions of this before they went to bed for the night. I don't recall having actually sat in the room and watched these movies with them. I think I might have just popped in and out during the course of the night as I did other things. You know, they were probably waiting, watching the movies, waiting for my sister and I to go to bed so they could deal with the uh, Christmas presents. You know, that's just something... They did every year, and uh, for a time at least, they don't do it anymore, but uh, that's just something I have memory of them doing, but not necessarily something I did. So before I get into the uh, business of this episode, I have feedback to address. This is from Dave McElvenny, who is uh, writing in on the recently released Man of Screen Extra episode 21, in which I talked about the Elseworlds crossover on the CW. Dave writes, Greetings, Mike. 
I enjoyed this year's CW crossover event, Elseworlds, very much. I grew up reading the Animal Justice League, Justice Society crossovers every summer in the comics, and this was about as close as to those who were likely to get on TV. I think, at least until Crisis on Infinite Earths. I don't know if there are definite plans for a Tyler Hecklin Superman show, but I agree with you that this crossover certainly laid a good foundation for that possibility. I particularly liked most of the interaction between Superman and Supergirl through these shows, and I think I could grow to like Elizabeth Tulak as Lois Lane, with all the more than I've seen so far. I also loved how Barry was starstruck to meet Superman. Who wouldn't be, really? Even Ollie puffed out his chest, which showed how impressed he was with the competition. Here are some things I liked best about these episodes. The return of John Wesley's ship in the 90s Flash costume. I loved that show, although I know some people didn't. The creation of Amazo and the battle to defeat him. Who are you? A friend. Seeing these altered versions of the characters we know, like Gary from Legends, Alex Danvers, Cisco, and Jimmy slash James Olsen, while I was asking Superman to deliver the alimony checks to his third ex-wife on Earth-38, then asking if he could trust him. I really like the revelation that Lois and Superman are expecting a baby and are engaged. Part of me hopes they will marry on Argo in a traditional Kryptonian ceremony. There were some things I didn't like, but those are mostly because of my own fandom experiences. I don't like to mention that Supergirl and Flash were destined to die while trying to save the world, which reminded me too much of their fates in the original Crisis on Infinite Earths in the mid-80s. Supergirl's death in Crisis number 7 was the worst comic book reading day of my life. Related to that, I didn't like seeing the Crisis on Infinite Earths banner teased in the next crossover, simply because I never liked that event in the first place. I don't think the multiverse was at all confusing, which was DC's stated reason for the crisis back then. And I don't think the results of the crisis were worth it, as evidenced by the return of a multiverse within a few years of the end of the crisis. Overall, this was a fun and well-done crossover, and it's at the high bar for the future crossovers. Hope the writers will rise to the standard, and I'm looking forward to the Batwoman show. I imagine this or the next crossover will lead to all the CWs being on the same Earth, which would be a good result. I must say, I think Black Lightning and Arrow would work well together as a mini-crossover. I see similarities between Ollie and Jefferson Pierce, and I'd enjoy seeing them interact. Wishing you and your loved ones a very Merry Christmas and a happy, healthy 2019. Live long and prosper, Dave. All right, Dave, thank you for writing in. I don't really have a ton of uh, a ton to add to Dave's uh, letter because a lot of it is just a list of stuff he liked. And, the, and I will mention this, though. Dave didn't like mentioning that, the mention that Supergirl and Flash were destined to die while trying to save the world. And that reminded him of uh, their deaths in the original Crisis on Infinite Earths. I think while that was a nod to what happened in Crisis on Infinite Earths, I think that is all it was. Because, let's face it, they're not going to kill off the lead character on two of their shows. And I believe this is setting up... I mean, it's rather obvious that this is setting up for the possibility that Oliver will die during the Crisis. Because of the actions he took when he uh, convinced the Monitor to uh, spare Barry and Kara. And I also heard some rumblings, uh, I read one article the uh, day or two ago suggesting that maybe uh, Tyler Hecklin's Superman should die during the crisis and kind of take Kara's place. You know, one thing about these crossovers that the CW has been doing, while they're using the famous names, you know, they used Invasion a few years ago, and now they use the Elseworlds imprint, and now they're going to use Crisis and Infinite Earths. I don't think that while they're going to adapt the concept, they're going to necessarily adapt the story. Although I do think the inevitable result will be putting at least uh, Supergirl, Arrow, and Flash on the same Earth. Like I mentioned last time, Black Lightning can exist or not exist as that show kind of sees fit. I would love to see Oliver Queen and Jefferson interact, but I don't think that's going to happen. So I really don't have anything else to add. Like I mentioned, I don't think the DC multiverse on TV is going away. I just think maybe they're going to streamline it back to uh, 52 words. If you remember, it was always supposed to be 52 words. And then with the introduction of the Flash of the old TV series being on Earth-90, 
that kind of shows that something might be askew in the multiverse, so maybe they need to come up with some way to squeeze it back down to 52 works. But I guess we'll find out about that next year. My one complaint about the uh, crossover, which I don't think I mentioned in the uh, previous uh, extra episode, is I really wish that John Wesley ships Barry Allen got a little more screen time, but eh, what can you do? So that's about all I've got. What I'm going to do now is I'm going to take a uh, podcast promo break, and then I'm going to come back with A Christmas Carol, starring George C. Scott. Hang around, folks. It began with the return of an ancient evil. Ah! After 10,000 years, I'm free! It's time to conquer Earth! Alpha, we just escaped. Recruit a team of teenagers with attitude. This is the story of five teenagers. Not teenagers! Yes, teenagers specifically chosen to keep our planet safe as the Power Rangers! Ranger Chronicles, coming January 1st to the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network. Alright, welcome back folks. Uh, now for some background on the 1984 version of A Christmas Carol. It was directed by Clive Donner, a British director, no relation to Richard Donner. It was written by Roger O. Herson, who I know really know nothing about. Honestly, I really don't know much about either Clive Donner or Roger O. Herson, but obviously this was based on the novel by Charles Dickens. And the cast includes George C. Scott as Ebenezer Scrooge. George C. Scott is most famous for playing the role of General Patton in the 1970 film Patton. Most of the rest of the cast I don't know a whole lot about. The rest of the cast contains Frank Finley as Jacob Marley, Angela Pleasance as the Ghost of Christmas Past, Edward Woodward, the Ghost of Christmas Present. He is uh, my favorite of the uh, three uh, ghosts that visit Scrooge. Michael Carter plays the role of the Ghost of Christmas Yet to Come, which I was kind of surprised looking at the uh, cast list that uh, the Ghost of Christmas Yet to Come was actually played by a person. I thought it was just kind of a puppet with a big cloak on it. But no, there's apparently a person underneath that Grim Reaper-like cloak. One actor I'm very familiar with, and uh, one of our connections to Superman, David Warner. He plays Bob Cratchit. Warner will go on to eventually, in 1993, play the role of Jor-El in the Season 1 episode, Foundling, in Lois and Clark, The New Adventures of Superman. I first encountered David uh, Warner, believe it or not, in uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2, The Secret of the Ooze, when he played the uh, role of... uh, Professor Jordan Perry, I want to say his name was. He was one of the lead scientists for uh, TGRI, the company that uh, lost the chemicals that made the turtles into the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. So that was my first encounter with David Warner. Obviously, he's done a lot of sci-fi over the years, a very popular British character actor. He p- most famously played the role of Gull Madrid in the season six two-parter of Star Trek The Next Generation, Chain of Command, in which he played Jean-Luc Picard's torturer. A very uh, famous and well-done episode. It was uh, immediately before the launch of Star Trek Deep Space Nine, one of the episodes that kind of laid the groundwork for that series. Some of his other Star Trek work in- included Sinjin Talbot in Star Trek V, The Final Frontier, and he played the role of Klingon Chancellor Gorkon in the uh, much-improved Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country. So just a little bit about David Warner, that that's where I'm familiar with him from. Obviously, fans of Superman the movie are... Familiar with Susanna York. She played the role of Lara opposite uh, Marlon Brando. She gets a few more lines in this movie than she did in Superman. She'll be Mrs. Cratchit. So, Joel and Lara are a couple once again. Other members of the cast include Anthony Walters as Tiny Tim. Roger Reese as Fred Holywell, and he's also the narrator. Caroline Langrish as Janet Holywell. Lucy Gutteridge as Belle. Nigel Davenport as Silas Scrooge. It's very interesting that the, uh, the trailer highlights Nigel Davenport's role as Silas Scrooge, even though he only he's only in one scene and only had, like, one or two lines. So that's pretty much 
all the cast that we really uh, need to know right off the bat. Those are our main players. A little bit about the film itself. It was filmed on location in Strewsbury, Shropshire in the English Midlands. Originally aired on American Television Network, CBS, on December 17th, 1984. That would have been a little bit more than a month after my uh, fourth birthday. This film got a theatrical release in Great Britain. The uh, U.S. debut was sponsored by IBM, which purchased all of the commercial spots for the two-hour premiere. The movie clocked in at about 100 minutes, so that fits pretty nicely into a two-hour TV time slot. And this was a very well-received telling of The Christmas Carol, and Scott was nominated for an Emmy for Outstanding Lead Actor in a Limited Series or Special for his portrayal of Ebenezer Scrooge. The film has been run in syndication on local American stations basically since it debuted in 1984, and it has a loyal fan base, of which I am a part. I mean, I'm not necessarily a super fan of this movie. I'm not in uh, any kind of internet forums talking about this movie on a regular basis, but like I said, it is my favorite on-screen version of this uh, story. And when I say I'm a is my favorite telling of A Christmas Carol. I kind of only count proper adaptations. I don't necessarily count things like Mickey's Christmas Carol or The Muppets Christmas Carol or The Flintstones or whatever cartoon uh, property has adapted the story. I really don't consider them proper adaptations of this story, even though they are tellings of it. I had no real interest in seeing Mickey Mouse as Bob Cratchit. So when I, when I talk about favorite versions of A Christmas Carol, I don't even consider those. The movie was not released on VHS until 1989 in the UK, and it came to DVD in 1999. I believe the uh, DVD I watched this on was printed in 2014. And the delay was because Scott himself, and later his estate through Baxter Healthcare, to whom the Scott family donated their copyright. Interesting, I'm not sure, necessarily sure what a healthcare agency would do with copyright for a film, but there it is. They owned the rights of the film, then. On November 25th, 2007, the movie returned to national TV on AMC for the first time since its debut. And the network got broadcasted each summer under license from the Scott Estate and 20th Century Fox, which owned the distribution rights as a result of their owning the video rights. In 2009, the Hallmark Channel ran the movie after Thanksgiving, and in 2009 it was re-released on DVD by Fox with updated box art and the same menu, and features a previous DVD release. And eventually it came to Blu-ray in 2010, and when I purchased the movie I looked for it on Blu-ray but couldn't find it. Probably weren't that many copies of it made. So, really don't have much else to add about the background of the film. So, I'm going to take another break, play another promo, and then I'll come back with my talk about the movie itself. Hang around, folks. Great comics come in all shapes and sizes. Coming soon from the Fire & Water Podcast Network. It's Digest Cast, a new show dedicated to our beloved pocket-sized treasures from that bygone era of the 70s and 80s. Hosted by the Fire & Water podcast team of Robin Shag, and we'll be joined from time to time by special guests. It's Digest Cast, because big things come in small packages. Coming soon to the Fire & Water podcast network. All right, welcome back, folks. Uh, now uh, I'm going to head right into the film, and I'm going to start with a synopsis from Wikipedia. On Christmas Eve in 1843 London, Ebenezer Scrooge, a miserly moneylender at a local counting house, does not share the merriment of Christmas. Scrooge declines his nephew Fred Holywell's invitation for Christmas dinner and reluctantly accepts his loyal employee Bob Cratchit's request to have Christmas off, since there will be no business for Scrooge during the day. As he leaves to the Royal Stock Exchange, Scrooge encounters Bob's ill son Tiny Tim waiting across from Scrooge's office. After initially mistaking Tim for a beggar, Scrooge assures him that he will have a long wait for his father in the cold before leaving. In the Stock Exchange, Scrooge is greeted by three other businessmen who wish to purchase some corn. 
They had delayed in concluding the deal, apparently in hopes that Scrooge would lower his price. To their dismay, however, Scrooge informs them that the price has gone up 5% because of the delay. And unless they come to an agreement, price will go up another 5% the next day. Before leaving, Scrooge informs them that he will not ship without the cash in hand. After being approached by two gentlemen collecting money for charity, Mr. Poole and Mr. Hacking, Scrooge turns down their request. In his house, Scrooge encounters the ghost of his deceased business partner, Jacob Marley, who warns him to repent his wicked ways or he will be condemned to the same afterlife as his, carrying heavy chains and forged from his own greedy ways. He informs Scrooge that three time-traveling spirits will visit him for, the, for that night. At one o'clock, the childlike ghost of Christmas past visits Scrooge and takes him back in time to his childhood and early adult life. They visit Scrooge's time as a boarding school student. He sees his father Silas, who gets him a job with Fezziwig, and his sister Fan, who has since passed away. Eventually becoming successful in money lending and business, Scrooge becomes engaged to a woman named Belle. However, the ghost shows Scrooge how Belle left him when he chose his wealth over her. A distraught Scrooge puts out the spirit with its cap as he returns to the present. At 2 o'clock, Scrooge meets the ghost of Christmas present, who shows him the joys and the wonder of Christmas Day. Scrooge and the ghost visit Bob's house, learning his family is surprisingly content with their small dinner. Scrooge takes pity on Tim. Scrooge and the spirit go to a desolate street where the latter disappears, warning Scrooge about the evils of ignorance and want. The ghost of Christmas yet to come arrives, appearing as a silent cloaked shadow, and takes Scrooge into the future. Scrooge witnesses the businessmen discussing the death of an unnamed colleague, where they would only attend the funeral if lunch is provided. The spirit shows him that several of his possessions have been stolen and brought to a fence named Old Joe. The spirit transports Scrooge to Bob's residence, where he learns Tim has died. Scrooge is escorted to a cemetery, where the spirit points out his own grave, revealing Scrooge was the man who died. Ashamed at the revelation that no one would miss or respect him, he vows to change his ways and begs to be spared. Awakening in his bedroom on Christmas Day, Scrooge finds the ghost had visited him all in one night. Gleeful at having survived the spirits, Scrooge anonymously sends the Cratchits a large prize-winning turkey for dinner. He then ventures out into the city to spread happiness among the citizens of London. Scrooge finds the charity workers he encountered before, and much to their elation, Scrooge agrees to make a large donation. Scrooge also accepts Fred's Christmas invitation after reconciling with him. The following day, he gives Cratchit a raise and becomes like a second father to Tim, who escapes death. A changed man, Scrooge now treats everyone with kindness, generosity, and compassion. He now embodies the spirit of Christmas. All right, one thing the synopsis there seems to leave out is that during his jaunt with the ghost of Christmas present, the ghost takes Scrooge to Fred's house where he kind of sees how Fred and uh, his contemporaries, his family, his friends, how they see Scrooge basically as someone so miserable that he doesn't even use his own wealth to make himself happy. A minor omission, but, you know, that scene was a very important in Scrooge's rehabilitation, let's call it. All right, just my notes on the, on the uh, film. It it starts off, it's been seven years since Marley died on Christmas Eve, and we get our first look at Mr. Cratchit, played by David Warner and George C. Scott as Scrooge. And obviously you see the relationship between uh, Scrooge and Cratchit. Cratchit is Scrooge's loyal assistant, not necessarily a partner, but definitely an employee, and Scrooge treats him rather badly. And then in comes uh, Scrooge's nephew, Fred, who's quite kind to Bob, and we get a little bit of Scrooge's views on Christmas. And Merry Christmas, Uncle. I said, Merry Christmas, Uncle. <laughs> humbug. Christmas a humbug, Uncle. Surely you don't mean that. I do. What's Christmas? But a time for buying things for which you have no need, no money. <laughs> time for finding yourself a year older, not an hour richer. 
If I could work my will, every idiot who goes about with Merry Christmas on his lips should be boiled in his own pudding and buried with a stake of holly through his heart. Come now, Uncle. Neville, you keep Christmas in your way and let me keep it in mine. Keep it? But you don't keep it. Let me leave it alone, then. Much good it may do you, much good it has done you. I regret many things from which I might have derived good, from which I have not profited, I dare say. Christmas among the rest. But I've always thought of Christmas time when it comes right as a good time, a kindly, forgiving, charitable time. A time when men and women seem by one consent to open their shut up hearts freely to their fellow creatures. And so Uncle Vert has never put a scrap of gold or silver into my pocket. I do believe that it has done me good. And I say, God bless it. Not a sound from you. And you'll keep your Christmas by losing your situation. How to him to come about buying things and points out to him that he's becoming a year older and not any richer. So there you go. There's uh, Scrooge's attitude right there. All he cares about is kind of hoarding money. He's... Like, it's really the worst kind of hoarder. He doesn't even, like, when, like he's going to be mentioned in the party later. He doesn't even use his wealth to make himself comfortable or happy. He just likes to be miserable. One of those people that is not happy unless he's miserable about something, which is a bit of a contradiction. But Scrooge does give Cratchit a paid holiday, so maybe that's a sign that there's some good in the old, in the old man, but it seems as though he's just kind of conforming to social norms there. Far be it Scrooge to conform to anything, but he does and give Bob the proper paid holiday. So, as Scrooge is leaving, uh, there's Tiny Tim, another person being uh, polite to the old grouch. And Tim is basically polite to everybody, and he is uh, one of the important characters in this show. He is the Cratchit's sick son. I don't know if the book ever says what he's uh, what his affliction is. I don't know why, for some reason, I always thought it was polio, but I could be wrong. Or I could just be making that up. Who knows? Basically, uh, Scrooge tells Tim that he doesn't have to wait a whole long time for his father to come out, so Tim has to kind of sit out there and wait in the snow. Again, this is really showing off Scrooge's personality. He's gruff, he's mean, he cares about no one but himself. You know, really the worst kind of person you ever want to run into. So as we get to the stock exchange, we see more of uh, the nasty old businessman as he overcharges these two businessmen for some corn, and he doesn't negotiate, he just figures he has whoever he's negotiating with over a barrel, and he just kind of keeps uh, taking and taking and taking until they surrender. When he knows he's got somebody, he doesn't uh, let up. He goes for the kill. Now, here is another DC Comics film co- connection. Michael Goff plays uh, Mr. Poole, the uh, the lead charity worker. Let's just call him that. He played Alfred in the uh, other f- in the four Burton and Schumacher films. That's really the only other thing I've seen Michael Goff in. Batman and this. Obviously, I, saw, I really watched this for the first time after seeing Batman in 1989 because I remember being quite excited at seeing Alfred in the movie. But, you know, Scrooge blows them off, too, saying that... Provision. Are you seeking money from me, then? Many thousands are in want of common necessaries. Hundreds of thousands are in want of common comforts. Are there no prisons? Plenty of prisons. The workhouses, they're still in operation? They are. I wish I could say they were not. The treadmill, the poor houses, still in full vigor? All very busy, sir. <laughs> I was afraid from what you said, that something had stopped them in full force. A few of us are endeavoring to raise a fund to buy the poor some meat and drink and food and warmth. Oh, what can we put you down for, sir? Nothing. You wish to be anonymous? I wish to be left alone. Since you ask me what I wish, gentlemen, that is my answer. 
I don't make merry myself at Christmas, and I can't afford to make idle people merry. My taxes help to support the public institutions which I have mentioned, and they cost enough. Those who are badly off must go there. Many can't go there, and many would rather die. If they would rather die, perhaps they had better do so and uh, decrease the surplus population. Surely you don't mean that, sir. With all my heart. Now, if you will go about your business, gentlemen, and allow me to go about mine. I guess he feels as though he does his taxes are his charity. I wonder how long Tim was waiting for his father out in the cold snow, but, you know, Tim is excited when his father uh, gets out of work, and he's excited to hear that his that his father has the full day off for Christmas. Apparently, days off are few and far between for Bobcat Cratchit, especially paid days off. Just the idea that Cratchit will be off all day is thrilling to Tiny Tim. You know, and it's hard to work every day. You know, I work over two, sometimes three jobs. I work just about seven days a week. So I definitely understand uh, Tim's excitement when uh, about his father having the full day off when, you know, I don't where I haven't had a full day off in probably almost a month. So I get that. And my kids would get that if they saw it, too. At least Haley does. Emily is a little too young to know any better. So now, as they're walking, Cratchit and Tim's reactions to the uh, Christmas festivities going on is the polar opposite to Scrooge. While Scrooge wants to ignore the carolers and the merrymakers and everybody who's uh, celebratory right now, Tim is enchanted by it, and he hopes that when he recovers from from his illness, he'll be able to join in. And his father, although means are limited, he's doing everything he can to foster his son's dreams. So after everything is said and done, Scrooge is going home and he starts to hear his name called and this is when he gets a visit from his old from the ghost of his old business partner Marley. You know, this is where things start to get really spooky. Now Scrooge is presumably in his big house. I don't know how big his house is, we only see a couple of rooms, but have to imagine a man of his means is in a relatively decent sized house and all the doors are locking, you hear the the chains clanking, but you don't see anything. And the movie does a real good job at kind of drawing that out and it's a slow build up before we the uh, image of Marley uh, eventually kind of appears before Scrooge. Marley is pretty scary looking. He's decked out in all, in all the chains, which is representative of his greed and the money he held on to. His greed is seeming to be holding him back from a better afterlife. And his job is to prevent Scrooge from kind of ending up the same way. And one thing that's really creepy is when Marley takes his... I don't know, unwraps some kind of handkerchief or something from his neck. Almost like his head falls to the side as if it's about to fall off. I don't know, and the film doesn't reveal how, and I'm not sure if the book does either. Like I said, I haven't read it, and one of these days I should really get around to that. I wonder how Marley died, if maybe he committed suicide, or if he hung himself, or something. It doesn't say. At first, maybe I thought he had drowned or something, as evidenced by all the uh, chains, or was killed, but no. The chains are just the uh, symbolic weight holding him down. Well, the only way to for Marley to redeem himself is to help Scrooge avoid a similar fate. And Scrooge is resisting. He is the man he is, and he's not one to apologize for it. So, here we are, the ghost of Christmas past, and it's a woman. Uh, She's uh, supposed to be uh, childlike, although I'm sure casting a child in this role wouldn't have have worked. But she has a pleasant demeanor, and we're going to look at uh, Ebenezer's boyhood. And at first he's seeing some of his old friends, I guess this is from a boarding school or something, and it looks as though seeing them has brought him joy, and he's trying to reach out to his old friends, and that's when the ghost reminds him that he can be neither seen nor heard. We, we learn right off the bat that Ebenezer's father has resented him because his mother died in childbirth, and Silas, who is Ebenezer's father, probably blamed the boy for his wife's death, which is a horrible thing to put on a child, and that can be very 
damaging to the child's psyche as it, as he grows up. And things haven't changed much over the years as Silas brings Ebenezer home for Christmas one year, but just for a few days and then kind of shipping him off to learn business a few days later with Mr. Fezziwig. The one thing this scene that we see of an uh, older teenage Scrooge is we see his relationship with his sister Fan, who clearly they have the same father. And it's unclear whether she's supposed to be older or younger than Ebenezer. You would think that she's older because the old man is still miserable. And it's just that the uh, actress who played uh, Fan looks so young that she seems to be younger than Ebenezer. But maybe she's older. I don't know. There's really no way to know uh, the age difference between Ebenezer and his sister. But clearly, this familiar relationship is the only one that really means anything to Ebenezer. The relationship from, between him and his father is horrible. So during this segment, we learned that Fred, who we saw in the opening, is Fan's son. And it's clear that, that perhaps Fan's death took some of the best of, of Ebenezer with him. So we, we go on and we meet Mr. Fezziwig, who is the absolute opposite of Scrooge. He loves Christmas and he's boisterous and bubbly and a little bit of a party animal, but he is celebrating the season wholeheartedly. He is embracing it and Scrooge seems to be happy to be reliving all of this and it's almost as though he had forgotten when he was a happy man. And throughout the visit, you see little, uh, you know, traces of a smile on Ebenezer's face as he's watching his past, and you realize that this was probably the best time of his life. And that's when we meet Belle, who is a girl that Ebenezer falls in love with, and uh, the movie doesn't seem to make it clear, maybe I just missed it, but he does get as far as getting engaged to her. And there's one very quiet moment that apparently the movie added in, is that Ebenezer's obsession with wealth and business is driven from a need to feel... He deserves Belle. But the tragic irony is that he spends so much time trying to deserve Belle and her love that it costs him both. And she breaks up with him on Christmas Eve because he's late picking her up for whatever it is their Christmas Eve plans were. And she wants someone who's going to put her number one, which is fair enough. I mean, nobody wants, if you're in a loving relationship, nobody wants to take a backseat to something else. You know, if you're too focused on one thing and not enough on on the other, especially if that other is someone that you love, then, yeah, that other person is going to walk away and find someone that's going to make her his number one. So, I don't necessarily want to say that Ebenezer had it coming, but he probably had it coming. And he learned a hard lesson here, and I don't know when exactly Fan died in relation to Ebenezer's life, but being basically dumped by Belle on Christmas Eve, probably killed the best of Ebenezer Scrooge. I mean, that would make me hate Christmas, at least for a little while. The Christmas season being the reminder of probably one of the lowest moments of Scrooge's life. So, yeah, I can understand why he hates Christmas and why he never embraced the uh, season. That doesn't justify at all Scrooge's behavior toward other people, but it can be seen as an explanation for it. Still, that doesn't make it right. Scrooge wanted stability, but love doesn't wait. And if you're too careful, life can pass you by, and that's what happened here. And then moving on, Belle is talking to her, I presume this is her husband, and she feels sorry for Ebenezer as he sees what life could begin. And obviously Ebenezer is angry at hearing that Belle felt sorry for him, you know, feeling that he doesn't need her pity. And, you know, maybe he doesn't want need it, but it is a theme throughout that people don't necessarily hate Ebenezer Scrooge, at least the people who are quote-unquote closest to him. 
a lot of them kind of feel sorry for him because of what he's done to himself. I am not sure I would feel that way, but a lot of people who would be close to Scrooge do feel sorry for him. Well, but the one person not feeling sorry for Scrooge at all is the Ghost of Christmas Past. She has a snark to her, definitely patronizing him and taking uh, great joy in telling Scrooge how wrong he is about everything. And speaking of ghosts that take great joy in telling Scrooge how wrong he is about everything, it's 2 a.m. and here comes the next ghost. And like I said, this is my favorite of the three ghosts. The Ghost of Christmas Present is a bearded man, loud and boisterous, and quite the glutton. You should see this holiday feast he has laid out before him. He's uh, very Christmassy in his green robe. If it were red, it could almost be a Santa Claus overcoat, kind of uh, like what David Huddleston wore in uh, Santa Claus the movie. So now Scrooge is going to time travel basically to this afternoon. And as they're walking through the marketplace, all Scrooge can see is the uh, commercialism of Christmas. Which, he's not wrong, but he's missing the point. So we go to the Cratchit's house, and here is Susanna York. It is almost impossible to see Lyra under the Christmas bonnet. And during uh, Superman the movie, she spoke in more of an American accent, so it is a little uh, different hearing her in her true uh, British accent. And so she doesn't sound like Lyra as much either. Oh, fun note, one of the one of the Cratchit's daughters' name is Martha. Why did you say that name? And now this is probably the first time Scrooge has seen a poor family in their home, and he's amazed at how the older siblings support and helped him, and that the Cratchits are just happy that they're, that they're together as a family and grateful for everything they have. You know, when you don't have a lot, togetherness as a family is really something that can get you through those tough times. Then there's the oldest Cratchit's son, damned if I know what his name is, was offered a job by Fred, and he's excited to be able to help his family. Again, his first thought is to help the family. He's excited that he at uh, the thought of helping uh, his father provide for the family, but... No, Bob is more concerned about his son's future. Again, the thinking of others is very prevalent among the Cratchits. And the Cratchits uh, living paycheck to paycheck, and uh, Scrooge makes a derisive comment about the size of the goose, and I love it when the ghost whispers into Scrooge's ear that It's all Bob Cratchit can afford. Basically putting the blame for the size of the goose on Scrooge, and rightly so. Scrooge pays Cratchit a meager sum, and I'm sure overworks him. So, yeah, the size of the goose is directly on Scrooge. And this is when you see the little moments of Scrooge starting to change after the Cratchits say grace. Brown and Chris, Mother, you've outdone yourself. Is it all right, then? Hurry, Father, cut the goose. I can't wait. Haven't we forgotten something? Lord, we thank you for the bounty you have placed before us. We thank you for this day of love and joy. We thank you for allowing us to be together, to share with each other and with you the fullness of our hearts on this special day. Amen. 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 What? You say something? No, no. Oh, well, I, th- I thought I heard you. No, I said nothing. Obviously, Ebenezer will uh, deny having said anything, but the ghost knows what happened. Another area where Scrooge is starting to show some concern is that he is concerned about Tim. Tell me, Spirit. Will he live? I see a vacant place at this table. I see a crutch without an owner, carefully preserved. If these shadows remain unaltered by the future, the child will die. No. No, say he will be spared. If these shadows remain unaltered by the future, none other of my species will find him here. But if he is to die, then let him die and decrease the surplus population. 
use my own words against me. So perhaps in the future you will hold your tongue until you have discovered what the surplus population is and where it is. It may well be that in the sight of heaven you are more worthless and less fit to live than millions like this poor man's child. I mean, people can say some horrible things, and I'm sure Scrooge, in his tirade at a pool and hacking, didn't think of the of what he was saying when he was talking about you know, are there no workhouses? Are there no prisons? And when he went on that tirade, to him, it made perfect sense because he's in his own head, obviously. But whenever you say something like that and then you hear it reflected back at you by somebody else, all of a sudden you hear what you said. And I do believe that Scrooge really heard that tirade for the first time when the ghost reflected it back at him. It's never easy hearing your own callous words sent back at you. Because this is the moment where Scrooge realizes how callous he is. And he comments on the surplus population comment. And I love how the ghost implies that perhaps the sick and the poor aren't part of the excess population. Or or the surplus population, if you will. Maybe people like Scrooge, the rich and the greedy, maybe they are part of the surplus population. And, like I said, this is the first time Scrooge is showing any concern for any individual other than himself. And the ghost leaves this important clue. If the future is unaltered, then the boy will die. Or however he said it. This implies right here that Scrooge can change Tim's future, whether he realizes it or not right now. So then Bob will hold a toast to Mr. Scrooge and... Now I would like to propose a toast to Mr. Ebenezer Scrooge, the founder of our feast, Mr. Scrooge. Founder of our feast, indeed. I wish I had him here. I'd give him a piece of my mind to feast upon and hope he had a good appetite for it. My dear, the children, it's Christmas Day. It should be Christmas Day when one would drink the health of such a, a stingy, odious, mean, hard, unfeeling man as Mr. Ebenezer Scrooge. My dear, have some charity. I'll drink his health for your sake and the day's sake but not for his long life Mr. Ebenezer Scrooge a merry Christmas and a happy new year I've no doubt his Christmas will be very merry and he'll be very happy Mr. Scrooge Mr. Scrooge Mr. Scrooge. Mr. Scrooge. Mr. Scrooge. Mr. Scrooge. Mm. He's made a point, Bob Cratchit has. Without me, there would be no feast, no goose at all. My head for business has furnished him employment. Is that all you've learned by observing this family on Christmas Day? Well, no, not all, but... One must speak up for oneself, for one's life. Mrs. Cratchit doesn't have very many nice words for Scrooge, nor should she. But she goes along with the toast for her husband. Again, Scrooge misses the entire point of the toast. That even though Cratchit is paid crap, he is still appreciative of what he gets paid. Scrooge kind of takes the toast as, yeah, you should be grateful. I financed your dinner, basically. But again, Scrooge is missing the point. This is the end of the visit to the Cratchits. 
And even though the Cratchits are flat broke, they're still enjoying each other's company and singing uh, Christmas songs. And that's what this holiday is all about. Spend the time with family and friends and basically appreciating the company. So, now that we've finished uh, with Poor People Christmas, we're going to move on to Wealthy Christmas, which is hosted by Fred Holywell. And Fred comments that Scrooge's wealth is basically useless because he doesn't even use it to make himself comfortable. So, basically here with Ebenezer, invisible to everybody, hearing them talk some smack about him. And basically, Fred keeps trying to have a relationship with Ebenezer because of his mother and her fondness for him. And while Fred feels sorry for his uncle, the rest of his guests are making fun of Scrooge, and it's got to be hard for him to hear that. I am thinking Scrooge has really never hung around long enough or paid attention to what other people around him are saying. So here he is stuck in this setting, and he's hearing uncensored what everybody says about him. No, that cannot be easy or very pleasant. And everyone is here having a good time, and Scrooge thinks it's because they're here for the free food and the drink. Again, he's missing the point. And throughout this whole thing, George C. Scott is playing Scrooge with this wry grin on his face. And I think Scott is trying to convey through this that Scrooge wants to enjoy the party, but he won't allow himself to do so. So, after we visit uh, the rich people's Christmas, we go under a London bridge or something, and uh, we see some homeless people. And he's uh, wondering why uh, they're not at the institution that he claims to be overtaxed for. Why are these people out here? Men and women in rags, children eating scraps. They're institutions. Have you visited any of them, these institutions you speak of? No, I'm taxed for them. Isn't that enough? Is it? Ben, come back to the fire. Look at these hands, Meg. They're hard hands. They've done hard work. I want to work. I want to have bread for my children. It's not right that there's no work. We're together, Ben. That's the important thing. I love you, Meg. I love the children. Tomorrow, take the children and go to the parish poorhouse. No. No. I'd rather we all drowned in the river than go to one of those places and be separated forever. Until I get work. No. Ben, we're a family. We stay together. Come. Come back to the fire. Come. Even the poorest of families want to stick together, and Scrooge will miss this point as well. How do you show me this? What has it to do with me? Are they not of the human race? Look here! Beneath my robe! Look upon these! What are they? They are your children. They are the children of all who walk the earth unseen. Their names are ignorance and want. Beware of them. For upon their brow is written the word doom. They spell the downfall of you and all who deny their existence. Having no refuge, no resource. Are there no workhouses? Are there no prisons? Cover them. I do not wish to see them. I thought as much. They are hidden. But they live. Oh, they live. 
So, in a need to illustrate his point further, the ghost demands Scrooge look beneath his robe, which in any other dark area probably wouldn't be the smartest thing to do. I mean, the ghost of Christmas present is a big man, I don't want to look underneath his robe. I do not want to see what's there. So, and uh, instead of uh, a bunch of hairy legs and discovering whether or not a ghost wears underwear, we're going to see a pair of children who are basically wearing rags and dirty, and the ghost shows him this quite angrily at this point. He is done with Ebenezer's crap. And again, the ghost artfully throws Scrooge's words back at him. And it seems though the only thing that gets to Scrooge is the suffering of children. First, he's concerned about Tim, and he can't even bear to look at these representations of poor children. I believe they're, he calls them ignorance and want. And from there, the ghost strands him in a graveyard by himself. And this is where Scrooge starts to rethink things a little, and he's wondering what he has done to deserve this. Well, Ebenezer Scrooge, you've done quite a bit. Now here's the third ghost, and where one ghost was snarky and had a humor about her, what another ghost was angry. This ghost is just scary and creepy. This is the ghost of Christmas yet to come. Because we need to be extra wordy about these things. We can't just say the ghost of Christmas future, which is what I tend to call him. And he's looking an awful lot like the Grim Reaper, not talking to Scrooge like the others did. So this silence is driving Scrooge crazy and making him even more fearful. And what he finds here is a a few men making fun of a dead colleague, as the synopsis mentioned. The only reason I say it like that is from watching the film, it's very obvious that they're talking about Scrooge. It's obviously since this story is about Scrooge, it's obvious that the ghost would only show Scrooge what he needs to see as it relates to him. So maybe if if he wasn't as, ra- as rattled as he appears to be here, he might have figured out earlier that they're talking about him. So he finds a few men making fun of this person's death. And then it gets even creepier as Scrooge is, I figured this was Scrooge in his bedroom during a thunderstorm and there's a body under the sheet. He still doesn't realize that this death is his, is his own, but he's struck that nobody seems to care about the dead guy in his bed. And... It's almost like you want to smack him or let him know, this is you. And obviously, since the ghost doesn't talk, the ghost is leaving him to figure all this out on his own, and he's not. But he does seem to be affected by the fact that nobody seems to care about this guy's death. And the fact that nobody does, that's kind of... Scrooge is backsliding here when he sees that nobody cares about this person, because that seems to be confirming his belief that people don't care about each other. And then he finds the fence, the woman who's selling off some stuff from it, from the dead businessman to the fence. And even though he realizes that some of the items are his own, he still denies it. He justifies it that maybe it's something similar. He's still denying the fact that this could be his and that he's the, the dead body in the bed. I don't know if he doesn't see it. I think it's more likely that Scrooge doesn't want to see it. He doesn't want confirmation that he is the dead businessman in the bed that nobody cares about. All he's saying is greed. He wants to see if someone actually cares. He wants to see some human tenderness. And that brings us back to the Cratchits in the future. And by now, Tim has died. We see the lone crutch that the Ghost of Christmas Present foretold. And... Hello, my dear. Hello, my dear ones. Hello, my father. You're late. We were worried about you. I'm glad you're home, Father. I am, too. You've become quite a little armful. The reason that I'm late is because I walked by there today. Today? I couldn't keep away. It's so quiet and green. You shall see it on Sunday. 
We shall all go on Sunday. I promised him that every Sunday I would walk. My little child. My little, little child. Father, please don't grieve so. No, I'm sorry. I have all of you. A blessing to be thankful for. Do you know who I saw in the street today? Mr. Scrooge's nephew, Fred. And he greeted me in his usual cheerful way. And uh, he saw that I was a little sad. He asked me what was distressing me. And when I told him, he said that he was heartily sorry for it. And, uh, brother, Tim is part of all of us. And for his sake, we must go on living. So long as we love one another, he will always be alive. Yes, of course, my dear. But however and whenever we are parted from one another, I'm sure that none of us will ever forget poor Tiny Tim. No, never, never, never. And when we recollect how patient he was and how mild, although he was but a little, little child, I'm sure that we will not easily quarrel among ourselves. I am a happy man. I am a truly happy man. I asked for tenderness and depth of feeling. And you've shown me that. Nothing more I need see. There is some tenderness toward the death of a human being, but it's the Cratchits mourning the death of Tiny Tim. Personally, as a parent, I can't imagine the grief of having to bury one's own child, and I hope to God that I never have to. But even... Amidst all of that, all of that tragedy, Cratchit says he is still happy and he's going to be that way because of the example his son set for him. Tim was never beaten down by his illness. He always had a bright spirit and he's going to live his life the way he believes his son would want him to. And there is that human tenderness that Scrooge is so seeking. And the tenderness and the caring of the dead person, in this case, Tim, is there because Tim cared about others. Tim loved everybody. And because of that, you're going to get this reaction. People are reacting to the death of Scrooge the way they are because of who he is in his life. Scrooge is reaping what he sowed in his life. Then we get to the moment of truth in the cemetery where Scrooge is starting to realize that he was a dead man in his bed. The third ghost again gives no answers, but by asking whether what he is seeing is the shadow of what will be or what might be, it shows that he, at this point he is at least thinking about changing his ways. And upon seeing his grave, you know, he dusts the name off the tombstone and there it is, Ebenezer Scrooge in all of its glory. That's when Scrooge breaks, and now he's ready to change. He can't prevent his own death, because eventually it comes to us all. Every breath we take brings us one step closer to our last. But what matters is the legacy we leave behind. And Scrooge knows he needs to change his. Sometimes we need to be shown things like this, or suffer some kind of trauma to change our ways. It's unfortunate, but sometimes it's the only way we learn. And then Scrooge wakes up, kind of sitting on the side of his bed, and it's Christmas. And... We see quite the change in Scrooge. And I love the way George C. Scott plays this. He's almost like a 
kid on Christmas morning racing down the steps to the presents. He's jumping around. He's jumping on his bed. He's almost like the man's gone crazy. He dives and jumps and flops on his bed, almost as though he's suddenly drunk on Christmas. So now the formerly greedy miser is tipping and buying the prize turkey for someone else, namely Bob Cratchit. He tips the carolers. He's going to give Poole and his charity a large sum of money. and They don't tell us how much it's going to be, but apparently it's so much that after Scrooge whispers that into his ear, Poole and Hacking will have heart attacks at the world come with joy. And all of a sudden, you can see it in the end of the demeanor. Scrooge is laughing. He's joyful. And again, almost as though he's drunk on Christmas. And he sends the prize turkey to the Cratchits, and the Cratchits are going to have a hell of a turkey to cook. And he sends the turkey to the Cratchits anonymously. Because he suddenly doesn't want the credit. Not that the old Scrooge would ever have sent a prize turkey to Cratchit, but if he did, he would let Cratchit know and then lord it over Cratchit for whatever reason. Now he's not doing that. He's sending it anonymously, so Cratchit will never know that the turkey came from Scrooge. He'll just know that he had a great Christmas dinner due to the kindness of a stranger. And now at Fred's, Scrooge shows up and accepts the invitation. Fred is quite shocked, as I don't think Fred would have ever expected... Scrooge to accept the invitation, although he was going to continue to offer it. And nobody really quite knows what to say. There's always that awkward moment when the when the estranged relative finally shows up, where, you know, no one quite knows uh, the best way to uh, integrate that person into the family. I mean, there are some relatives that I've lost contact with over the years that I would love to uh, kind of get to know again, but, you know, it's always, I guess the hardest part is kind of putting your foot in that front door and, uh, Started the conversation because no one no quite knows what to say at first. Good afternoon, madam. Merry Christmas to you. Merry Christmas to you. Uncle Ebenezer, this is my wife, Janet. Janet, this is Uncle Ebenezer. It's a pleasure. More like a surprise, wouldn't you say? Well, that too. <laughs> well, that's quite true. Quite honestly, it is a surprise. When we spoke yesterday, you made it quite clear, it seemed to me, at least, that you had no intention of accepting my annual invitation. I made other things clear, too, didn't I, Fred? That Christmas was a humbug, a waste of time and money. A false and commercial festival, devoutly to be ignored. Yes, basically that was it. Well, I come for three reasons. First, to beg your pardon for the things I said about Christmas. That was a humbug, friend. Was it? Mm. I didn't know it then, but I know it now. Secondly, I've come to meet your wife. Well, here she is. Yes. And a very beautiful woman she is, too. Thank you. I, uh... I was in love once. Would you believe that? Yes that I possess neither the courage nor the optimism, perhaps the depth of feeling that you two have. Thirdly, if the invitation to dine with you today is still in force, I accept. Of course it's still in force. <laughs> Hurrah! <laughs> I was sure that one day. You were sure, were you? Well, apparently you were right. <laughs> yes, I should like to dine with you and your friends. You'll be more than welcome. He seems to genuinely regret the time he wasted being a cheap bastard and enjoying and ignoring his family. So, Ebenezer Scrooge has had the best Christmas he's ever had, probably since uh, Belle left him on Christmas Eve. So, here we go. It's December 26th, and Bob Cratchit is running late and probably expects to be fired. He is 
18 minutes late. And here we get Scrooge's final act of selflessness in the movie. Mr. Cratchit! Here, sir. Do you know what time it is? Yes, sir. What time is it? 18 minutes past the hour, sir. 18 and a half minutes past the hour. What do you mean, coming here this time of day? I'm sorry, sir. I am behind my time. Yes, I think you are. Step this way, sir, if you will, please. It's only once a year, sir. It shall not be repeated. I was making rather merry yesterday. Hmm. Well, I'll tell you, my friend, I'm not going to stand for this any longer. Therefore, therefore, I am going to double your salary. Double my salary, sir? Yes, Bob. Yes, Bob. A Merry Christmas to you. I'll double your salary for a start. And I'll endeavor to assist your family in any way I can. And Tim, Tim will walk again and grow stronger and stronger upon my life, he will. <laughs> well, we'll discuss the particulars this afternoon over a Christmas bowl. Hmm. Well, what's the matter with you? Nothing, sir. Well, it's just that... <laughs> Nothing. Thank you, sir. My good fellow, make up the fire before we freeze to death. <laughs> Buy some more coal before you dot another eye, Bob Cratchit. Yes, sir. And I like how he starts with that gruff, Mr. Cratchit! I do that to Haley, too, sometimes. I'll, I'll kind of, I'll come in the room and go, Haley? <laughs> and then, uh, you know, the first few times I did it, she would kind of look at me, like, almost the way Cratchit did, would look at Scrooge here. And then I'll say something good, and, and hug, or hug her or something, and I just like to mess with her. And I think now that I have uh, done it enough that uh, she knows what I'm doing it. So if she's ever in trouble, I might have to come up with a different uh, opening, because she might think I'm kidding. So, as punishment for his uh, chronic lateness, Scrooge doubles Cratchit's salary, and then pledges to help Tim any way he can. And I'm not sure if Cratchit is scared or happy. I know he is quite surprised, and I think this is something he can uh, get used to. And that wraps up our story as we hear that Scrooge becomes a second father to Tim. So, like I said, this is my favorite version of A Christmas Carol. I uh, really love it, and if you haven't seen it, I encourage you to check it out. I'm not sure what the next episode of Man of Screen Extra will be. It could possibly be a review of Aquaman. I'm going to see that this week. But check Twitter and Facebook for more information as things go forward. So, in the meantime, if you want to send some feedback, it's always welcome. Manascreen at gmail.com. You can join the conversation over at the Facebook group. Just put Manascreen Podcast in your search feed and the show should come up. You can also find the show on Twitter at Man of Screencast. And if you don't mind, uh, why don't you leave the show on a review on Apple Podcasts. That'll help others find the, the show and increase its visibility in those directories. So, until next time, folks, we're all on the same team. Good night. 
Man of Screen Podcast is produced by Mike Zemo, and all opinions expressed on the show are those of Mike Zemo and his guests and no one else. All music and sound clips used on the show are for review purposes only, and no copyright infringement is intended. All music and sound clips are copyright their original copyright owners. The Man of Screen is a member of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network and can be found at www.twotruefreaks.com. Emails of this show can be sent to manofscreen at gmail.com. And you can also leave the show a review on iTunes. That will help others find the show. Thank you for listening to the Man of Screen Podcast. Thank you.